My friend, it has been a long time since we last met. I am no longer a steward, but instead find myself a colonist on the beautiful world of Nakondas in the vast. Here I have discovered a strange bit of ancient alien technology which I wish to study before discreetly sending it back to Absalom Station. My request to you is that you would assist me in doing so, as I know your particular skills will be quite useful. I have arranged for you and other trusted acquaintances to crew a supply ship scheduled to depart for the colony in a few days. The Kingfisher is sturdy and should get you to me safely. You will be paid 1,000 credits each for delivery of the supplies, and I can promise that further compensation will be given for safe delivery of the tech back to Absalom Station. I know the drift is unpredictable, but I will expect your arrival within the fortnight. I look forward to it. Sedona. Hey everyone, and welcome to Blasters at Dawn, a Starfinder tabletop role-playing game podcast. My name is James, I'm the DM of the group, and we're currently running through the adventure path against the Aeon Throne. I'm recording this episode zero for y'all by myself, because while we originally intended to stream this or make a podcast out of it, we had some issues early on, and it was ultimately more important to just play the game on the weekends we were available. For the same reason, the party is not going to be completely consistent. We have five players, but we do go ahead with a session if only four are available. The show must go on. With all that said, let's get into the meat of this episode, character introductions, and a brief recap of the game up until we officially began recording. What you heard at the beginning was a message sent by the eclectic and multi-talented android Sedona to each of the players. Now we will see where they all were when they received this message. We open on an alleyway, somewhere down in the layers and layers of Absalom Station. We focus in on a short, hooded humanoid making his way down the smelly and dirty passage toward us, walking carefully to avoid slipping in the concoction of oils and chemicals that always coats the floor here. We pan to follow him as he turns, stopping on a green neon sign that reads, Known Oddities Investigations, as he enters the building. Inside, we find a dingy office with wood flooring and a small desk near the back of the room in front of a door leading further in. The room is carefully watched by a pair of mismatched security cameras in opposite upper corners. Above the handful of chairs are various images that look like a hunter with his kill. Only instead of an animal, we see things like a heap of ash, a thick gel, and a pile of bones. Following the humanoid again, we see him unlock the door with both an input into a keypad and a physical key hanging around his neck. This back room has multiple short workbenches. Above them are neatly organized tools, but the benches themselves are a mess of weapons, chemicals, and specimens of various unidentifiable creatures. Off to the side is a distinctly well-lit area with various trophies hanging on the wall, including a mummified hand and a strange preserved tentacle. As the humanoid enters the room, he hears a ping on his datapad and removes his hood to read the message he just received. That is Trognar the Stare, the dwarf proprietor of Known Oddities Investigations, played by Matthew. Next, we pan over a bustling space dock illuminated by bright artificial lights. Workers with various alien forms move about using their hands as well as hovering carts and lifts to unload a space freighter whose beaten hull bears the scratched-up name Jellyfish Dream. Air hums with the sound of machinery, punctuated by the occasional beep, clank, or shout. 
Amidst the chaos, we focus on the back of a tall, four-armed alien. He walks purposefully back towards the jellyfish dream, his hands empty. As the camera continues to follow him, his calm flashes a light, but he doesn't seem to notice. Shorter, rat-like person walking alongside him tugs on his sleeve and gestures towards the calm. The four-armed alien slows and checks the comm, surprised by what he sees there. He nods his thanks to the Yasoki, then turns to look for his foreman, not having to crane his neck at all to look over the crowd. He gestures something that's hard to interpret, but the Besk foreman nods, and the alien starts moving towards the side of the docking bay. There, he ducks through a door, allowing it to slide closed behind him, quieting the noise of activity outside to a muffled murmur. He takes off his four gloves, one at a time, placing them carefully on a nearby surface before settling into a chair in the middle of the room that is slightly too small for him. As he sits, his posture relaxes, and he looks relieved to be away from the bustle and noise of the dock. Finally, we begin to pan around and see his face as he takes his comm from his arm and begins to read the message he received. That is Eric, a Kasatha dock worker, played by John. Next, we move to a bar just outside those dockyards. It is what passes for nighttime on the station, but the bustle of passing traffic is still almost enough to drown out the noise of the rowdy Kitsune soldiers crowding the small dive bar, celebrating a successful deployment. A squad of ragtag warriors are celebrating going on leave for the next couple of months. All their pent-up energy and excitement is being spilled out all at once as they dance and sing late into the night much to the enrichment of the bar's owner. One particularly hammered Kitsune stumbles about in a drunken stupor until his celebration is interrupted by a ping from his comlink. Downing another shot, he stumbles outside to read the message he just received, eyes widening as he recognizes the name at the bottom. That is Katsu, a Kitsune warrior played by Mason. It had been three standard days since his old crew had abandoned him on Absalom Station. Since that time, Tariq had gotten drunk twice, been kicked out of three bars, and was getting close to using up the last of his meager credit supply. Sitting alone in his cheap bunk room, the realization was starting to sink in. He would have to get a job. With a quick flick and an angry snarl, Tariq's knife embeds itself into the cheap composite of the dresser, only to be yanked out a moment later by its increasingly irate owner, as he starts to pace around the claustrophobic space that is mistakenly called a room. Cursing his old crew for the umpteenth time, Tariq runs a calloused hand through the increasingly grimy fur on his scarred head. The thought of finding another bar that didn't know the sight or sound of him yet was appealing, tempting even. With a sigh, though, Tariq banished the thought. If he was to survive this, action was required. Wheeling around, Tariq is just about to throw the sharp implement of his wrath into the innocent dresser again, and a chime interrupts his focus. Glancing over towards the bunk, Tariq notices his comlink light up. Thunk! The knife buries itself once more into the poor dresser as Tariq investigates the probable spam message sent to him over the datasphere. Checking the sender first, Tariq's interest is piqued when he sees the name Sedona. Memories from years past come rushing back uninvited. Tariq slowly sinks down onto the bed, reading further into the message, requesting his help with a job on a distant colony. Tariq's brow furrows at the thought of a pilot job in the vast. Excitement and caution battle for control as he finishes reading the message. Slowly, Tariq stands up from the bed and closes the comlink. With a small twing, 
the knife is dislodged once more and returned to its sheath. Grabbing the small travel pack that contains his few belongings, Tariq looks around the tiny room that has been his home for the last three days, and with a determined huff, wheels around and out the door. The message had said to come to Nakondas. Tariq grinned mischievously at the thought. He was going to make it to that planet, but first he had some shopping to do. That is Tariq, the Patra former pilot, played by Joel. And finally, in the heart of Absalom Station, a young boy named Benji moves through the vibrant bazaar like a whisper. His agile frame weaves effortlessly through the throngs of alien beings, each one engrossed in their trade and commerce. The kaleidoscope of colors and languages surround him, creating an otherworldly symphony. Amidst the chaos of the marketplace, Benji's eyes lock onto a figure that stands out like a beacon of opulence. A wealthy magnate draped in robes adorned with stardust crystals is engrossed in examining an exquisite alien artifact at a prestigious stall. The allure of riches draws Benji in like a gravitational force, and he can feel the adrenaline coursing through his veins. With the grace of a seasoned thief, Benji stealthily approaches the unsuspecting target, tiny hands itching to relieve the wealthy man of his valuable possessions. He knows this could be the jackpot he has been waiting for, a chance to score enough credits to live comfortably for weeks in the underbelly of Absalom Station. Just as his fingers are about to make contact with a coveted object, sudden blaring sound erupts from his worn-out comm device. The loud message alert pierces the air, sending shockwaves of panic through Benji's body. Every eye in the vicinity turns toward the source of the disturbance, including the well-heeled man whose attention is diverted from the artifact to the boy beside him. Locked in an intense gaze with Benji, the wealthy man's face transforms from curiosity to suspicion. The boy's heart sinks when he realizes his plot is doomed. Knowing the odds are no longer in his favor, Benji slinks away, his dreams of a lucrative score shattered by a simple device alert. The crowded bazaar swallows him once more, and he disappears like a shadow, vowing to prepare more carefully in the future. Sighing, Benji sits down in a quiet nook to read the ill-timed message, a look of interest growing on his face as he realizes he may have found a score today after all. That is Benjamin, or Benji, a human and a bit of a street rat. We will be releasing our art of these characters on social media over time, so drop a follow and keep your eyes peeled for those. As for the story so far, uh, the five of them got together, uh, flew on the Kingfisher that Sedona provided them to Nakondis. Um, they found themselves assaulted by two unmanned short-range drones from the Aslanti Star Empire when they reached that planet, though. They managed to destroy them um, and flew in close to the foggy planet, but they found a blanket of jamming blocking off all communications. Uh, but their scans revealed that the main landing area of the colony was occupied by a strange building that looked more like a fortress than a colony dwelling. So they flew over and landed a couple miles away and began the hour or two long trek towards the colony. After dealing with some native pests called Hobgars, they ran into a man named Jellic Fulson, a fugitive from the colony who was hotly pursued by some Aslanti soldiers. After defeating two patrols of those soldiers, Jellic explains to you that the Aslanti flew in and took over soon after a probe crash-landed on the planet, 
which led Sedona, the android, and others to an ancient and intriguing spacecraft from which she returned with a full pack of items to investigate. The Aslanti destroyed their communications building and captured everyone who resisted or was capable of resistance, including Sedona and the titular Madelon of Madelon's Landing. Under the cover of the fog, they sneak into the home and workplace of Jellic's ex-wife, Ibretta, where they further learned that a small but as of yet ineffective resistance has formed. Ibretta suggested that victory would require first weakening the Aslanti forces by causing trouble and breaking their hold on different areas, as well as drawing them out and killing them. The PCs began that journey um, by rescuing a man named Rendell Tace, who was uh, stuck in his warehouse after accidentally, uh, well, not really causing the death of an Aslanti soldier, but being in a position where he would have been implicated in that death. They then went on to uh, release the Hobgars from the colony's trap they had set for them. Uh, those Hobgars ran around like crazy, causing all sorts of trouble as they escaped into the forest, and dropped a small electronic device uh, that the PCs did not know what to do with it. They rushed away uh to a safe place, uh, the, the doctor's clinic, just to the southeast of that main clearing where the trap and the enemy garrison lay. Um, and at that point, they ended up returning to Ibretta's shop, um, where they learned that the small box they had recovered was a voice box for a man named Ludvar Kresk, who had been... Uh, badly injured by a fire long ago and, and needed this voice box in order to be able to speak. Um, Ibretta suggested that they meet some of the other members of the resistance. Uh, so she pointed them towards Corsica Arquin, a woman who had been initially brought into uh, the garrison by the Aslanti, uh, but she made such a fuss in there that they ended up taking her out and just beating her almost to death and, and leaving her for dead. Um, many, many injuries. Fortunately, the doctor that they met before had been able to save her life, and she's now back in her own um, dwelling place, cared for by her teenage son, Weldis Arquin. Uh, so they swing over to her house, uh, speak with her. She's very anxious to get back at the Islanti, particularly the two senior uh, soldiers that, that uh, had beaten her. She promises that she can deliver them a map of the garrison so far as she saw it if they are able to complete this task um, and they're happy to, to be able to do so. They go speak to Ludvar, uh, bring him back his voice box. He's very excited about that, very glad. Um, they discuss where they could go next. Um, they head to Madelon's, uh, own dwelling place where they find out the, um, they find information pointing that the artifact that Sedona recovered from the crashed spaceship, the one she specifically wanted to recover more than any of the others, was a, a strange stone, um, 
not very large, but seemingly emitting a lot of energy. Um, and she was bringing it back for, for further study, of course. Uh, this, it seems like, would be the main thing the Islanti are interested in here. Uh, they evade a patrol uh, after they accidentally set off a trap that the Islanti have set in Madelon's house. Uh, but they escape in time back into the fog. And next, uh, as, as evening approaches, they head over towards the cemetery in the northeast corner of the settlement, where it has been suggested they could easily ambush a Aslanti patrol that regularly passes that place. Um, hiding behind the gate, the fence, the tombstones in that area. Uh, they do so one one of them, Tariq, sets up on the the far side, away from the bushes. The others set up behind tombstones and whatnot. Um, they ambush the three soldiers that come by. One senior soldier and two um, ordinary ones. Uh, they find the the senior soldier has an interesting magical item called a breakaway Aegis that essentially will absorb a certain amount of damage from a melee hit uh, one time and then it, it shatters into pieces and uh, you can repair it over 10 minutes and, and get that five hit points or whatever exactly it was once again neat little item they find that they will be able to use um, after that they head back to Ibretta's shop and that is where the first episode will begin. So thank you for listening to this episode zero, going over all the stuff you really need to know as you um, begin to listen to this podcast of ours. Sorry for it going so long. Uh, certainly much less interesting when it's just me rather than uh, all the guys hanging out doing cool stuff. You're getting to listen to characters and battles and everything. So I'll let you get on to episode one. Uh, please leave a rating if you want to. Leave a comment somewhere. I'd love to hear what you all think. Um, share with other people if you, if you enjoy it. So I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>